Annihilation. 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 Who mourned him with his warm head on my knees? Six months of this, and then I noticed that whole days had passed without my noticing. I sorted cloth and scissors, needle, thread, thinking to amuse myself, but found a lifetime's industry instead. I sewed a girl under a single star, cross-stitch silver silk, running after childhood's bouncing ball. I chose between three greens for the grass, a smoky pink. A shadow's gray, to show a snapdragon gargling a bee. I threaded walnut brown for a tree. My thimble like an acorn, pushing up through umber soil. Beneath the shade, I wrapped a maiden in a deep embrace, with heroism's boy, and lost myself completely in a wild embroidery of love, lust, loss, lessons learnt. Then watched him sail away into the loose gold stitching of the sun. And when the others came to take his place, disturbed my peace. I played for time. I wore a widow's face, kept my head down, did my work by day. At night, unpicked it. I knew which hour of the dark the moon would start to fray. I stitched it, gray threads and brown. Pursued my needles, leaping fish, to form a river that would never reach the sea. I tricked it. I was picking out the smile of a woman at the center of this world. Self-contained, absorbed, content, most certainly not waiting. When I heard a far too late familiar tread outside the door, I licked my scarlet thread and aimed it surely at the middle of the needle's eye once more. Carol Ann Duffy, Penelope. Interior: Villepardieu. House: Living room. Night: Raddick, Lena, and Ventress, bound and gagged in mismatched chairs. Referencing the idea that the members of previous expeditions into the Shimmer killed each other, Thornton completes her line about theory two. Ventress has the biggest reaction. Looking at the other two, Radic next. Lena seems calm now, contemplating. She knows that her own blood is contaminated. Second three, angle on Thornton. She covers her face in her hands, then drops slowly to the floor. Her hands slide back over her hair, then around to her face again. Stopping together over her mouth and nose, as if in prayer, she takes a breath. Edith Hall, the return of Ulysses. Quote, the problem of understanding Penelope's consciousness has long frustrated scholars. The enigma begins when she summons the beggar, outraged at the suitor's treatment of him. This, she says, could never happen if Odysseus came back. At this point, Telemachus sneezes and Penelope laughs. Before she has met the beggar, she tells the suitors to bring bridal gifts. The narrator comments, Odysseus saw with glee how she lured them to make presents to her, stealing their souls with persuasive words. Though her heart, meanwhile, was set elsewhere, this raises the possibility that Penelope believes that Odysseus is about to return, or even that she has seen through his disguise. Second nine angle on the other three women. Ventress looks at the other two again. Back to Thorns in second twelve. When the two finally converse, she weeps as he tells her that Odysseus is alive and will be home before the year's end. We hear that Odysseus represses his pity for his weeping wife, but are given no information about Penelope's suspicions or lack of them. When she confides her ominous dreams and her impulse to set up an archery contest, he tells her to organize it for tomorrow. 
Penelope is presented as believing his assurances that Odysseus will arrive before the bow can be strung. She then retires to her bed, where she dreams that Odysseus lies physically beside her. She is woken by the nurse who tells her that Odysseus has returned. Even after being told about his scar, she is not convinced. In a rare description of her feelings about the man who claims to be her husband, the narrator says that she sat for a long time in silence. With bewilderment upon her heart, because as her eyes searched his face, she thought him one moment like Odysseus, and then again could not see him so because of his miserable rags. Thornton, when I look at my hands... She opens her eyes and looks up. Luna's locket dangles over Thornton's right arm now, forgotten, or maybe like a rosary clenched in her desperate fists. And, and my, my fingerprints. fingerprints. I can, can see them moving. This picture is perplexing. Does the archery contest occur to her because she believes that the crisis must finally be resolved one way or another? Does her subconscious mind recognize Odysseus while her consciousness does not? Is she an irrational creature so emotionally confused that it is pointless to look for consistency of motive? Whichever way the story is read, it is sexist. We are asked to collude with this woman's husband and her son in scrutinizing her misery. In pre-feminist times, some women identified with Homer's Penelope on an uncomplicated level. Pope's translation reached a wide female readership and lay behind Angelica Kaufman's repeated portraits of Penelope in lonely distress. Many women wept at Nicholas Rowe's tragedy, Ulysses, first performed in 1706. Rowe invented the type of bourgeois drama known as she-tragedy, in which a virtuous woman in distress, usually a mother, was torn between conflicting loyalties. Accordingly, his stage version of the Odyssey was really Penelope's play. It tests not only her virtue, but the very possibility of a virtuous woman, an issue raised by the elderly Athon when he says that there is no such thing as a wife who cannot be persuaded out of fidelity. End quote. Reverse on Lena, second 19. She leans forward in her chair, tries to say something, but cannot. Back to Thorns in second 22, she lowers her head and cries. She raises her clasped hands again. She mutters to herself, or maybe to her higher power. I can't. She raises her head abruptly. If I let you go, and you tie me to a chair and cut me open. Reverse on Lena. Are my insides... Gonna move like my fingerprints? Lena moves, unable to answer, but also, under the circumstances, probably unwilling. Angle on Thornton, second 37, framed from her left, in the dark, at the right edge of a dark frame. She breathes hard, breathes hard again, raises her arm and touches the cabinets behind her, trying to catch her breath, trying to ground herself, or maybe something else. Like the boar in Vandermeer's novel, like the pale alligator or the deformed bear we will soon get a better look at. She knows something is wrong inside her. A position she has been in before. Karen Opus describes being an alcoholic in Business Insider, 13th February 2014. Quote, I was 21 and drinking was still mostly fun. I was getting great grades, but there were warning signs. People I wouldn't hang out with because they were boring. Didn't drink more than a glass or two on weeknights. And classes I missed because I was too hungover to make it in. I had to borrow money to pay rent and bills because I was spending my earnings and savings on booze and drugs. Time passed and I dropped out of university because I told myself, I don't want this. Actually, I was failing that semester because I was drinking and drugging so heavily that I couldn't do coursework or pass exams. So then, like countless alcoholics before and since, I decided that the problem wasn't me. It was where I lived. So I moved. But remember, no matter where you go, 
I was able to stop doing coke and speed in my new town, but my drinking got even heavier to compensate. Oh, and drinking no longer worked its old magic. I had to drink so as not to go crazy, but it didn't make me feel good. It didn't fill me with warmth and good cheer. It had become a dreary necessity. Drinking pretty much took over my life. I had a few friends who drank as hard as I did. We prided ourselves on it and thought the rest of the world were boring sheep with no sense of adventure. I did things I was ashamed of. Maybe not the stuff you might be ashamed of. Sex was as meaningless as drinking a glass of water by then. But stealing from friends and convincing myself it wasn't theft, that they owed me or would want me to have it. I was best woman at a childhood friend's wedding and I didn't show up for the ceremony. I had gotten drunk the night before and truthfully didn't want to stand up and watch someone be happy and move forward in life. I coveted happiness and hated everyone else for having a better life than I did. I hated myself even more. And the only thing I knew how to do was pick up a bottle. Alcoholism is lonely. Even when you are surrounded by people, you don't feel the connection. Even when those people really love you. Because you think they love the mask you are holding up to the world, not the real you. Not the worm inside that is your core self. And I drank even harder to get rid of that realization. Being an alcoholic is tedious and fearful. I lived in fear of being found out and I had to plan every activity to make sure that there was access to alcohol. I'd show up at parties and drop a bottle of wine on the table. Then I'd head to the bathroom and stash a bottle of scotch inside the toilet tank so that I didn't have to worry about running out of booze and people wouldn't know just how much I was drinking. Twice during the last five years of my drinking, I managed to stop for about a month. But the entire time there was a hamster wheel in my head, one that kept repeating, I am not drinking. I am not drinking. I am not drinking. The only drinking. thing I thought about I was booze and how drinking. horrible it was not to be drinking anymore. I can tell a lot of funny stories about my drinking years, but most of the time I was scared, alone, angry, and bored. I knew the future that was coming was a bad one. And then I had that moment of clarity. I almost choked to death on my own vomit, and I realized that I would die if I kept drinking, and that I didn't want to die like this. End quote. The only moment of clarity for Thornton is that she is powerless over her situation. Her life has become unmanageable, and whatever she hopes can come from binding these three other women, she probably has little hope that she will not die like this. Scared, alone, angry, but not bored. Her insides are changing. The world around her is twisted up with deformed animals, deformed plants, and all she did today was walk from one abandoned place to another abandoned place, and all she would do tomorrow is walk to yet another abandoned place, and that might be all she will ever do, her actions echoing again and again within the confines of the Shimmer. Theory 2 Every person who has come into the Shimmer has had to go through this transformation. Shepard died before it got to her. Vendress and Lena are too driven for it to have overwhelmed them just yet. But we know Lena is close. And Radic. Radic will have her own response to the powerlessness. Radic will seize control however she can. Like cutting her own arms out in the real world. She will give in by taking over. Thornton's vice was alcohol. It took away her control. And she had to be stronger to take it back. But now, here, in Vilperdu, she is not feeling strong. Beat. Angle on Lena. And we hear that Thornton has grabbed something from the cabinet shelf behind her. She was not reaching to ground herself with something solid. She was arming herself to keep on fighting. Lena realizes. Back to the previous angle on Thornton, second 43, and she pulls a small knife from the shelf, briefly holds the blade by her mouth, then gestures with it as she speaks. I'm not the, not one, the tied one tied to a chair. Thornton rises to her feet, and camera rises with her. Knife in hand, locket still dangling from that same hand. The prayer is over. Angle on Lena. She sits back, no longer calm. Back to Thornton. 
stepping forward so Ventress comes into frame on the left. You are. Awkward cut second 53 to a wider shot at nearly the same angle. All four women in frame. Ventress struggles more than Lena. Angle on Radic, second 56, eyes wide, looking to her left, out of frame. Angle on Lena, second 58, talking, but not able to say anything. Framed with Thornton silhouette, knife moving closer. Reverse on Thornton, Lena at left edge of frame, as a woman's voice screams from somewhere nearby. was a boy. I tagged along behind the gang and wore me corduroys. Everybody said I only did it to annoy, but I was gonna be an engineer. Mama told me, can't you be a lady? Your duty is to make me the mother of a pearl. Wait until you're older, dear, and maybe you'll be glad that you're a girl. A dainty as a dress and statue, gentle as a Jersey cow. Smooth as silk, gives creamy milk Learn to cool, learn to move That's what you do to be a lady now When I went to school, I learned to write and how to read Some history, geography, and home economy And typing is a skill that every girl is sure to need To while away the extra time until the time to breed Then they had the nerve to say, but would you like to be? I says, I'm gonna be an engineer no, you only need to learn to be a lady The duty isn't yours for to try and run the world An engineer could never have a baby Remember, dear, that you're a girl She's smart for a woman I wonder how she got that way You get no choice, you get no voice Just stay mum, pretend you're dumb And that's how you come to be a lady today then Jimmy come along and we set up a conjugation We were busy every night love and recreation I spent the day at work so he could get his education Well now he's an engineer He says I know you'll always be a lady It's the duty of my darling to love me all her life Could an engineer look after or obey me Remember dear that you're my wife Jimmy got a job, I began again Then happy at me to lay the year or so And then the morning that the twins were born Jimmy says to them, kids, your mother was an engineer You owe it to the kids to be a lady Dainty as a dish rag, faithful as a child Stay at home, you got to mind the baby Remember you're a mother now Every time I turn around, it's something else to do It's cook a meal, mend a sock, sweep a floor or two I listen in to Jimmy Young, it makes me want to spew I was gonna be an engineer Don't I really wish that I could be a lady I could do the lovely things that a lady's supposed to do I wouldn't even mind if only they would pay me And I could be a person too What price? For a woman, you can buy her for a ring of gold To love and obey without any pay You get a cook and a nurse, for better or worse You don't need a purse when the lady is sold Ah, but now the times are harder and me Jimmy's got the sack I went down to Vickers, they were glad to have me back But I'm a third-class citizen, my wages tell me that And I'm a first-class engineer 
boss, he says, we pay you as a lady. You only got the job cause I can't afford a man. With you, I keep the profits highest, maybe. You're just a cheaper pair of hands. You got one fault. You're a woman. You're not worth the equal pay. A bitch or a tart, you're nothing but heart Shallow and vain, you got no brain You even go down the drain like a lady today Well, I listened to my mother and I joined a typing pool I listened to my lover and I put him through his school But if I listen to the boss, I'm just a bloody fool And an underpaid engineer I've been a sucker ever since I was a baby daughter as a wife as a mother and a dear but i fight them as a woman not a lady fight them as an engineer and time runs out for this minute we spoke what was it we said Wordlessly watching, he waits by the window and wonders at the empty place inside.